we're going to read uh, together um, from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. If you are following along in the Blue Church Bible, you'll find that on page 1175. That's page 1175, starting at uh, chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Great. Do keep that um, open in front of you. Um, and uh, as Hamish said, we're sort of going back a little bit, um, just, to, uh, for the, just for July, really, um, to finish off... Um, our series on being human. We thought sort of in, I guess, big and broad terms about um, what the Bible says about what it means to be human and to have the bodies that he's given us, um, to be the people um, he's made us. What does that, we've thought lots about what that looks like. But what we're going to do in July is sort of, I guess, get into the detail of belonging to God's new humanity. Um, how does that, how should that work itself out in the, the nitty gritty uh, of church life. Um, there's lots of places we could have gone to think about this, but um, I really like Ephesians, so we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and we're going to spend just a few weeks in, in this chapter, particularly in the first 16 verses, uh, as we work out, uh, think through, sorry, what, what it means to belong together to this, this new um, humanity. Uh, let me pray for us, though, as we come to look at these words together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Uh, Father, we need your spirit, as we've already sung and prayed, to abide within us, um, to transform us more and more into the image of your Son, from from one degree of glory to another. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that you'd do that, even as as I speak this morning, that you'd bring your words to bear in our lives, that you'd transform us, uh, that we might grow up into Christ our head. Uh, Please do that work amongst us, uh, I pray, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, imagine uh, that you have the joy of someone asks to, to shadow you uh, for a week. Uh, they get to spend every day with you uh, and all day with you. They watch you in all your different um, interactions. Um, and at the end of the week, uh, you say to them, look, just as a, by way of review, uh, what is it that you think makes me tick? Why do you think I do the things that I do? What, from the way that you watch me living, what is it that I'm after? I suspect for all of us, uh, certainly for me, that would be uh, quite a humbling uh, answer to that question. Uh, I wonder if you've ever asked the question of yourself, what's, what's my goal in life? What's my ambition? What am I working towards? What, what do you hope your future will look like? What vision do you have for your future, for the rest of your life? Uh, knowing uh, many of you, I suspect the answer to that is, I really just quite like to survive the next day. <laughs> uh, survive the relentlessness of it all. For some, it might be, well, I just hope I've, I earn enough for a decent retirement. Uh, for others, it might be to be successful, to be great at my job, to, to, to make it in the career that I have. For others, it might be to, to raise mature and independent and wonderful children. I don't know. Maybe you've just never thought about it. Uh, maybe you just literally live, what's the next thing that I've got to do today? Which, as I suspect, most of us are like that. See, we have aims and objectives, don't we, in the workplace or in, in the jobs that we do. Uh, we have targets to, to meet, for things that we can be held accountable to. Uh, but we don't often think about that, really, for our day-to-day -day lives. But Paul has a vision for us. It's really clear, isn't it? He has a future that we're to work towards, uh, and it's there in the end of uh, that for the reading that we have. Uh, particularly verse 12, to equip his people, we're to do something, we'll get to that, sorry, until we reach unity of the face, for verse 13, in the knowledge of the Son of God become and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul has a vision for us. He wants us to grow up into maturity, into unity. And Paul's vision for the future is not some arbitrary vision. It's a vision based on what he's just said in chapters 1 to 3. We looked at a little bit of this um, uh, before we went to Jude in our last talk. In chapters 1 to 3, in summary, Paul has said, look, Jesus is reigning. Uh, he's the high and exalted one. And he's the one that God is bringing everything together under. God's big plan, just turn back in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 10. Here's the big plan. God has put something into effect in Christ to, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's God's big plan, that everything will come under his reign and authority, visibly seen by that. Whatever it is, it comes is to be under the reign of Jesus. And so in the church, that's to be our aim as well, to, to become that 
that new humanity, that mature man. That's what we're aiming, aiming at. And he uses these three phases, uh, unity in the faith, uh, maturity, uh, and attaining to the whole measure uh, of the fullness of Christ. Unity in the faith, I think that just means like a shared understanding of who God is and all that he's done for us in Christ. Uh, to maturity, or literally mature manhood. Uh, Paul doesn't want us to be spiritual Peter Pans who, who never grow up selfishly doing our own thing, but rather we're to grow up together as individuals into this one man, this, this new humanity. Uh, if you like, at a horizontal level, church looks like lots and lots of different individuals doing their own thing, but get in a helicopter and get above the church, and what you find is all these individuals together look like Jesus. They look like Christ, like a rich tapestry coming together to, to put Jesus on display. Fullness in Christ, I think, simply saying, look, Christian growth is growing to become more like Jesus, the perfect human. That's Paul's ambition. That's what he wants us to be looking forward to, uh, working towards. And he wants us to work towards it because very unflatteringly, he says in verse 14 that we're all children. You see that in verse 14? Like we're to work towards this future because at the moment we're infants, tossed back and forth like the waves. We're, uh, we're like a rowing boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, unable to, to keep our balance. We're like little children who are just beginning to learn to walk. Uh, like Lisa, is it Lisa Simpson who like walk, walk, bang, walk, 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 bang? That's a reference for no one got. There we go. Uh, we're easily shaken. And it's humbling, isn't it? Because Paul says, look down at verse 14. He says, we will no longer be infants. (laughs) The great apostle who wrote the book of Romans, who Jesus entrusted with the evangelism of the Gentiles says, I'm a bit immature. I've got growing to do. And if that's true for the apostle Paul, then it's certainly true for us, isn't it? So that's our ambition. What it means to be human together, to be part of this new humanity, is to grow up into Christ. And to get us to that, he's going to tell us to do various things. We've all got things to do um, in this chapter, and we'll see that in the coming weeks. But the first thing that we're to do is to walk worthy of our calling. Look down at uh, sentence one, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I think this is kind of like a headline for this chapter. Uh, Live a life worthy of the calling. And he's going to unpack, well, probably all the way to the end of chapter 6, what this worthy walking looks like. We're to walk worthy of the calling. And what is the calling? Well, the calling is that we belong by grace to this new humanity that's being united together under Jesus. So in chapter 1... God the Father is bringing everything together under the Son as he chooses, adopts, forgives, and justifies people that put their trust in Jesus as they believe in the message about him, the gospel. They're they're sealed with his spirit. They're they're brought into this new family that God is forming, God the Father is forming to bring it under his Son. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, how did it happen? Well, it was all by grace. 
It was all God's initiative. Uh, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enslaved to the evil one. And by grace, we've been saved and raised up with Christ. This is not our doing. It is all him. And so we belong to this new humanity. Chapter 3, that new humanity that God has made, he's brought together to make one new humanity, which is a temple in which he dwells by his spirit. In other words, Jesus is reigning. And where is the reign of Jesus most clearly visible today? It's right here in this local church. That's where the reign of Jesus, chapter 3, verse 10 is. That's the calling to which you have been called. So if the first half of the book was, this is who you are in Christ, the second half, chapter 4 to 6, and, and we're going to look, as I said, in chapter 4, the second half is about live out that identity, live out who you are. So as, we're, as we think about this call to be united, to, to grow up, we're not, it's not something helpful, I think, to think of it not as something that we've got to strive for, not something that we've got to work out how do we achieve it. No, God has achieved it already in Christ. He has united us together in Christ. The call is not to try and achieve it, but to, to live it out, to work out in our lives what it, would, what it looks like to 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 show off the unity that he's already accomplished. Um, I've got no great insight into the royal family, or and particularly I'm a, a royalist, but it seems obvious, doesn't it, from the way, at least from the way that they choose to show themselves, that if you belong to the royal family, there is a way that you're expected to live. There's a, a heavy expectation placed on members of the royal family to to behave in a certain way, to show off that they that's the family to which they belong, whatever you whatever you think of them. And Harry clearly doesn't want to belong to that anymore. But you get the point. You, they're, they're living out their identity. There's, there's a way to behave. They don't become royal in the way that they behave. They are. And so that's how they're expected to live. Friends, we've been If we're Christians this morning, we've been chosen by God, adopted into his family, made part of this new humanity. We are together the place where God dwells by his spirit. And so Paul says, come on, let's live like that. Let's work it out. Walk worthy. Just look across to chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and transgressions and sins in which you used to walk or live when you followed the ways of this world. So we used to walk in a particular way and now we're to walk in a different way. We're to live in a different way. We're to live worthy of this new calling that we've been called into. And briefly then, there are three things that Paul wants to tell us about this worthy walking this morning, just in verses 1 to 6. Notice that he wants us to develop the character of unity, or that leads to unity. Look down um, at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
What does it mean to walk worthy of this calling or to live a life worthy of the calling we've received? Well, it's to do those things. He modifies that by saying, this is how you're to be. This is the character of this new humanity. Now, those are challenging. It's a challenging sentence there, isn't it? Like we find it hard to live like this, to, to live this united life with one another. Find it hard to even just get along with God's people. And, and why is that? Well, it's because we're all, like we're all sinners in recovery this morning, aren't we? Over the last uh, 10 years or so, for, for various reasons, I've had opportunity to, to go to places like Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, not for myself. <laughs> but one of the things that I find very, very striking about those meetings is, that, is the raw honesty. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever been in one, but everyone knows they're in recovery. Everyone knows that they're there because they need each other to to get through the next hour for some people. And I think church, the church should feel like that, more than like being a club, being a part of a club that share an interest. We're, We're all sinners in need of recovery, and so we should never be surprised that one another's sin. Never be shocked that sin often raises its ugly head. And especially, I think, in our relationships with one another. It is the primary place of difficulty in church life. Ten years into leading a church, that is the thing overwhelmingly we spend time dealing with, is the messiness of relationships. And the reason is, is because we often live out of pride or fear in our lives. That's often what drives our days, and both of those things are destructive when it comes to united relationships. But Paul says, look, to live a life worthy of the calling means to to develop the character that leads to unity, a character of unity. See, my solution probably to disunity would be, well, if people could just understand my point of view, if they actually listened to me, or if they could really get how difficult life is for me, if they understood what I was going through, then... Like, church would be a lot easier for us. But Paul has something way more radical for us. He says, no, brothers and sisters, you've got to be, if you, to live out this new humanity means being completely humble. Not slightly humble. Completely humble. What if pride or fear didn't govern us. And just think about that for a second. <laughs> Wouldn't much of the conflicts that you experience, whether that's in marriage or friendship or in church more broadly, wouldn't it just evaporate? If we spent time asking for God's help to restrain our sense of entitlement, or to, for our focus to be, as we arrived in any particular church gathering on the needs of others. I think it would have a quite marked impact on how we feel about church life and how we experience it. So think about the relationships that you know right now where you've got some sort of disunity. 
And just ask yourself, is the reason for that, could the reason for that be because I'm waiting for them to move first? Waiting for them to bend. Uh, waiting for them to confess. Waiting for them to, to say sorry. Is it because I'm waiting for them to see my needs, my hurts, to, to understand the impact of what they've done? Or is it because I'm frustrated that, uh, that, they, that people seem to have neglected my needs and, and my interests, that they've just not considered me? Now, all of those things are really can be painful. Uh, there might be need for reconciliation and an apology, but... The gospel, is, the gospel is God makes the first move, isn't it? Like he, he bends to bless his enemies at the cross. He doesn't wait for us to make the move. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. The good news, the, the message of grace is not God gives us what we eventually deserve. No, it's he, he serves us. Our culture says, this is me, get on board. Right, Jesus is just exactly the opposite. So we're so often demanding and consumerist, aren't we? Uh, so often our assessment of something is, or someone is often around what have they given me? What have I got out of it? Uh, rather than what I can give. See, what would it be like if after church, after the formal bit, our conversations, that we could just try and humbly inquire after other people's triumphs and, and hurts uh, before telling them about our own? Paul says, walk humbly. That's what it means to walk worthy of of this calling. Second, he says, be gentle. Be gentle. Now, gentleness here is not being a doormat for others. Uh, it's not, um, or meekness, I think it could be translated as. It's, it's not like let people walk all over you. Now, someone has said that uh, gentleness, is, gentleness or meekness in the Bible is really strength under control. Uh, dealing with people with kindness rather than roughness. Setting an example rather than conjoling. So it's to be humble. Uh, we're to be gentle. We're then thirdly, he says, be patient with one another. Someone has said this is long-suffering towards aggravating people. Quite like that. In our own strength, this is tough. I don't know who just sprang to mind when you thought of someone that aggravates you. Uh, maybe you feel justified in your anger or your frustration with them. Maybe some people just rub you up the wrong way. And that can be really hard. That's hard to, to deal with. But Paul says, no, to be patient with them. Hopefully you're not all thinking of me, but be patient with me. And why be patient? Why be gentle? Well, because in chapters 1 to 3, that's exactly how God has dealt with us, isn't it? When you failed this week, he didn't ditch you, did he? When you battled with those thoughts on Tuesday, he, he didn't wash his hands of you, get frustrated. When you snapped at the kids, he didn't remove his grace from you, 
Like he's not grumbling in a corner, resentful that he made you one of his people. No, he has lavished his grace on you. Given you every spiritual blessing. At work in you. Humility, patience, gentleness. And why do we need those things? Well, because we need to bear with one another in love. That's the fourth thing. The love here, I think, is the, the, sphere, the sphere of where we, the, the place that we bear with one another. And the love, it's not sort of this airy-fairy, non-defined love. It's the love of God that he's just prayed for in chapter 3, this immeasurably great thing that we're to know. See, knowing and being surrounded by God's love for us in Christ, his immeasurable, limitless, powerful love for us, is how we're going to be able to bear with one another. And it's bear with one another. so helpful, isn't it? That's how it feels, isn't it? It's not always easy. It's difficult to work towards this unity. It's not stuff I work up in myself but it flows out of the calling that I've been received, knowing who God is, what he's like, and all he's done. I'm able to walk in a manner worthy and develop the character that leads to unity. So the character that leads to unity. Secondly, be eager to maintain unity. Verse 3. That's the second instruction Paul gives us, is that we're to be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? But what does it mean? Well, notice firstly that it is maintain unity, not develop unity, not create unity, not establish unity. It's, it's a maintenance thing. We're all like caretakers. With, we're to maintain something that already exists, and that unity does already exist. That's the point of chapters 1 to 3. So we're like a gardener watering plants. Like, we don't give life to the plants, but we can cultivate them. We can enable them to flourish, whether you water them or take out weeds around them or whatever it is that you do. I don't really know. That's why our garden looks like the way it does. We're we're to cultivate. See, God has accomplished unity. It's already a reality by the Spirit. He has joined us together. We are at peace with one another. And our responsibility is to maintain that to keep the unity that God has established. But notice, secondly, is it not something we we maintain? It's something we're to be eager to do. I think in our translation it's make every effort, or other translations it's uh, eager, be eager to do. Uh, One writer has said there's a sense of the the Greek word that's um, translated there, there's a sense of crisis about it. See, unity in Ephesus is under threat. There's a, there's a danger of division. You can see that down in verse 14. There's people who are deceitful schemers that appear to be in the church who are cunning and crafty. Uh, there are marriages that are under threat because people aren't loving each other as God's called them to love each other in the marriage at home. Uh, you can read about that in chapter to 5. So there's relationships are, are under threat in Ephesus. And so Paul says, look, there's a, there's a bit of crisis here. You've got to be eager for this unity. 
can't be, can't be lax about it. Now, sorry to bring this up, but when COVID hit and we were sent into lockdown, uh, there's a few of us here that spent many, many hours in meetings about how can we keep church meeting? How can we do that safely? Uh, how can we maintain it? And there was a sense of crisis about it. There were three-hour meetings on a Monday with one group of people at Beeston Free Church, followed by three hours of meetings in the evening with, with people here. Like, how will we maintain this? Because we want to keep meeting. And how can we do it safely and, and legally? Uh, particularly when the government keep changing the guidance every three days. How, how are we going to do that? And Paul says, look, there's a sense of crisis. There's a, there's a, there needs to be an eagerness for you to maintain unity. Don't be indifferent to it. Don't think it, oh, it doesn't matter today. We're to, that's the kind of attitude we have. We're in, we're in crisis mode. Uh, maybe the question that we need to think about ourselves is, where is unity under threat in my experience of church? And how can I help to maintain it? A couple of things I think that are significant for us at the minute. Uh, Wonderfully, we're a growing church. There are people here that weren't here when we started. And when new people come to church, and you're very welcome, we are even putting a lunch on for you, so we're glad that you're here. But it makes church feel busier. It's harder to have conversations. People that we loved speaking to previously, we might not see that often. Uh, Sunday mornings are noisier and more difficult, aren't they? The youth work is way harder. There are lots more kids. Almost as many children that meet in this school in the week are here on a Sunday, it feels like. As a result, your leaders drop the ball. We don't do the things you want us to do or... Uh, We fail to do them or we make decisions not to do certain things that we used to do in order to do other things. And that's frustrating, and I get it. I find it frustrating too. And the question is, so how do we maintain unity when we feel like that? Because there's lots of opportunities to grumble together, isn't there? Whether that's with your spouse or your housemate about how church is difficult and frustrating. But maybe a better conversation would be, how can I maintain it? How can I keep it? Now, please don't mishear me. That doesn't mean never telling us that something's wrong, uh, never expressing disquiet. You know, we don't want, that's not, it's like, behave. Like, that's not my point. But there are ways of doing things, aren't there? that can either maintain unity and work towards it or cause fractures and undermine it. That's one area. Uh, We've said recently as a church that we're thinking about, um, as a leadership team, uh, the the roles that men and women play in church life. It's one area that we've not thought about properly. Uh, We talked about this in previous talks. I won't go there again. But we are working it through as a leadership team. Like, what should it look like? For this church, with the convictions we have and what we believe about men and women and what the Bible says about men and women, like what should that look like in our church life? It's been a long-standing question for us that we've needed to to address. And as elders, we've worked through what we think. 
and what we believe as a church. And with the wider leadership team of the team leaders, we've begun thinking through and trying to get to a place of this is, this is how we think it should look. And I think it's fair to say, even within that smaller group of people, that the current position we're at, not everyone feels entirely happy with. There's points at which we all find it uncomfortable. And I really like that. Because it probably means we're doing something quite right. Because I think church should feel uncomfortable for all of us at different points. And the question for all of us as we present that and you as you receive it and we think it through together as a church is, okay, in response to this, how can I maintain unity? It doesn't mean, please don't hear, it doesn't mean never question us or ask questions or like disagree with us publicly. That, that's not my point. But let's maintain unity as we disagree. Because we're united. God has made us one in Christ. He's joined us together into this local church. This is the church that you belong. And your responsibility is to maintain unity, to grow in the character that promotes unity. Now, if you, like, if you want, I can give you the, the address of the local church where this is dead easy and, and really perfect. Come and see me afterwards if you want to know the church that gets this right. It doesn't exist. See, develop the character of unity. Be eager to maintain unity. And finally, know the basis of our unity. Look down at verse 4 to 6. I wish verse 4 had started with a for or a because, but it doesn't exist. (laughs) It just has this statement and I think that the reason for the statement is it, be, it gives all that he said this greater force. He says, look, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven ones. You get the point. There is one thing that we're about of. Except there aren't seven. Well, there are seven ones. But look closely, and what you find is they're actually, all the ones are related to a particular person within the Godhead. There are three, three persons in the Godhead who produce different things. I think Paul's point is, look, the basis of our unity is that God is a unity. He is one God who is three persons. So we get the seven ones, but they're divided into three. Look down at verse four. So we start with the spirit. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. If you go back through chapters one to three, you find it is the spirit who brings about the body of Christ, who gives believers the hope of the inheritance that's to come. You can read about that in chapter 1 and verse 14 or chapter 2 and verse 18. The one spirit brings about the one body and the one hope. The spirit has formed the community to which we belong and and has given us the hope that one day we'll be with that community 
forever. Uh, There is one Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, at verse 5, there is one faith in him. Uh, There's not one faith for the Gentiles and one faith for the Jews in Ephesus, which is what they were arguing about, thinking that one was more spiritual than the other. No, there is one body of truth about Jesus that we are believe and are to contend for, which we were thinking about in the book of Jude. It's the, the truth about Jesus that we find in the scriptures. And there's one baptism, and what Paul means there is not that there's one mode of baptism. You know, Christians disagree about, is it sprinkling or immersion? Uh, is it children of believers, or is it just adults? Like we discuss all of that kind of stuff. But there's one baptism because we are baptized into the name of Jesus. We share the same spiritual reality of being in him, baptized into his name. And there is one God and Father who is over all and in all. We belong to his family. He sustains it all. The the Son takes his life and being eternally from the Father. That's who the Son is. He's the, the Son of the Father. Everything, sort of as we sang, he's the fountain of goodness. Everything comes from him. You see Paul's point. This life worthy, that includes the character that promotes unity, that is eager to maintain unity, the basis of that is the God who is united, one God in three persons. He is a unity of love. He is the Father forever loving the Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. And our church, this church, is the place that we put him on display in our relationships with one another. We're to walk worthy of the calling to which we've recalled, which means the character that promotes unity, an eagerness to maintain unity, Because God is united, and we belong to him. And right now, we need to remember, Paul says, that we are immature. We've got loads more growing to do. A lifetime's worth of growing into this one faith, into this mature manhood, up into this fullness of Christ. And as we look through the rest of this, these verses, we're going to see we've all uh, not got to develop the, just develop the character and be eager to maintain, but we've got a role to do, every one of us, to grow up into Christ, our head. Uh, let's bow our heads uh, and just spend a moment reflecting um, on what we've been thinking about. If the band wants to come up, that'd be really helpful. And maybe just as the the band do that, uh, maybe just take a moment in the silence. And just, like, where has pride been evident in your relationships rather than humility? Where is there harshness uh, rather than gentleness and meekness? 
where is there snappy grumbling rather than patience and a, and a willingness to bear with one another? And maybe the more difficult question for you this morning is who do you need to go and reconcile with? Let me pray. Uh, Father, your word um, penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and exposes the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, laying them bare before you to whom we must give an account. And Lord, these words are, are lofty, uh, but really difficult, really convicting. And as you lay our hearts bare, would thank you that we come to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, who forgives all our sins. And as we enjoy that forgiveness together, Uh, Please would you help us to move out in love. Would we grow in this character that you call us to? Uh, Would we be eager to maintain unity? And please would we together as this church in the Rylands show off the God who is Father, Son and Spirit. And I ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.